Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to the Heritage Foundation, and let me wish everyone a blessed holiday season and a happy new year. I'm James Carapano, the Vice President for Foreign and Defense Policies. When we think about the Department of Homeland Security, we, we think about the guys that combat terrorism, but they're actually responsible for all the threats to our homelands, our neighborhoods, and communities. And so we are extremely lucky today to have Acting Secretary Chad Will to talk about the concerns of China in our own backyard and the department's role in protecting our freedom, our safety, and prosperity. After the secretary's remarks, he'll join me for a short question and answer, and we hope you'll stick around for that. So now, Secretary Wolf. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for the Heritage Foundation for hosting me today. Heritage has been an indispensable partner during my time as acting secretary, and I appreciate their continued efforts to communicate and amplify the great work of the dedicated men and women of the Department of Homeland Security. Our founders had a powerful vision for this nation, to be a bastion of freedom, a shining city upon the hill, and a beacon of hope to those suffering across the world, including those fleeing oppressive authoritarian regimes. The United States has tirelessly pursued that vision, from correcting the gravest injustices within our borders to defeating tyrants, terrorists, and oppressors around the world. America's global leadership delivered our victory in the Cold War. The fall of the Soviet Union, one of the greatest moral triumphs in American history, ushered in unprecedented period of freedom, peace, and prosperity. But as we reveled in the afterglow of our Cold War victory, communist leaders in Beijing were biding their time, learning from the mistakes of others, and preparing to mount a civilizational challenge to America. Today, the threats to our peace and prosperity emanate largely from China. To be clear, when I describe the threat from China, I'm speaking of the leaders in Beijing, not the Chinese people who suffer under the oppression and authoritarianism of their own government. The Chinese Communist Party picked up the mantle of communist ideology and has adapted it to our times. Today, the ideology that fueled the Soviet Union is alive and well in China. The CCP views the current free and open liberal economic and democratic world order as a political and ideological threat. It wants to reshape the world in its image, centrally planned and authoritarian, a world in which the Chinese government can pick the winners and losers, where every decision isn't about helping the most people, but instead about helping the Chinese regime. The ideological mindset is important to understand because it drives CCP's actions, including right here in the homeland, threatening our economy, our people, and our way of life. They employ underhanded tactics to destabilize Western nations and further their ends. Instead of competing fairly on a level playing field, China undermines the international system. Instead of fighting on the conventional battlefield, China wages secret disinformation and propaganda wars to cripple us from within. The results they have achieved thus far should concern every American. There is a connection we must all recognize. The Chinese Communist Party's authoritarian ideology and China's maligned actions are intertwined. They share a philosophical premise, the belief that the CCP can ruthlessly pursue its ends regardless of whom it hurts along the way, be it millions of people now at risk of COVID across the globe or China's own oppressed citizens who cannot start their families, practice their faiths, or speak their minds without the fear of swift and inhumane government retribution. 
but the ideology is also tied to China's strategic actions against the United States in a practical way. In the truest sense of the word, it is a totalitarian state. The centralization of Chinese political, technological, and economic power, the monopoly on resources and industry, the disregard for human rights and dignity, and their own people's fear of government retributions, these traits together make the Chinese regime a serious threat to the United States and to the entire world. This combination of qualities enables the Chinese Communist Party to undermine the values of liberal democracies, liberty and equality, honesty and transparency. Their government has launched political, economic and cultural attacks that harm our homeland and our people. And it is high time for us to recognize these attacks for what they are and to respond accordingly. In October, I released the Department of Homeland Security's first ever Homeland Threat Assessment, which lays out the range of threats we at DHS combat every day. And believe me, we had a lot to say about China. The threats emanating from Beijing are many. China attacks the legitimacy of our political system. Each day, Chinese operatives engage in disinformation campaigns designed to mislead the American public, pressure political figures, shape U.S. discourse in China's favor, and shift responsibility for the deadly COVID-19 pandemic to others. These operatives exploit cultural and economic ties to lobby our state and local governments to adopt pro-China policies. Beijing abuses its economic leverage to manipulate major American companies into towing the party line at the expense of truth and free expression. And as we have recently seen, they engage in espionage even at state and local levels of our government. China poses a high cyber threat to the homeland, demonstrated by continued cyber espionage against the United States government and businesses and their increasingly ability to threaten and potentially disrupt U.S. critical infrastructure. China's cyber capabilities should alarm all Americans. A cyber attack on our critical infrastructure could be catastrophic. China also intentionally undermines the strength of our economy. China is a top threat to U.S. supply chain security and a persistent source of counterfeit goods. Whereas American businesses are the world leaders in innovation, China is the world's leader in counterfeits. Chinese counterfeiters send fake medicines, contaminated cosmetics, and other defective auto parts, to name but a few, in massive volumes. And sadly, the PRC exploited the COVID crisis by sending us fake PPE, directly hurting American citizens. Foreign investment from China has also proven to be a threat as China continues to pursue select investment in the United States to gain new technologies that it cannot produce domestically to develop its own industrial base and to secure access to critical supply chains. American companies are put out of business due to the unfair practices used by China, significantly harming the livelihoods of countless Americans. The hollow out and undercutting of industries that are critical to American production and employ millions is a persistent and enduring threat posed by Chinese business tactics. China exploits our academic and visa systems to advance its military and economy using a wide range of government, non-government, and private actors and platforms. For example, they use visiting professors and scholars and students to steal information or to replicate the work done here in the United States. China abuses our free market economy by stealing trade secrets, harming the very American companies and free market system that have helped to lift hundreds of millions of Chinese people out of poverty. And finally, and perhaps more close to home for many Americans, China has directly harmed the lives of countless Americans. Fentanyl and precursor chemicals from China pour into our country, often trafficked by transnational criminal organizations. In addition to this scourge of Chinese manufactured drugs that kill tens of thousands every year, COVID-19, 
which originated in China and has made its way to the United States after an inept, deceitful response from the Chinese government has claimed the lives of more than 300,000 Americans thus far and has harmed millions more. Simply put, our people are suffering and dying every day because of the Chinese Communist Party. As the Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, I can tell you the plain truth. The most long-term strategic threat to Americans, to the homeland, and to the American way of life is coming from Beijing. It would be impossible to detail each and every threat the Chinese Communist Party presents to the United States, but those I have mentioned here today are some of the most egregious attacks we have seen thus far. The rise of China has come at a tremendous cost to the American people, and that cost will continue to add up if we continue to stand idly by. I cannot stress this point strongly enough. China threatens the livelihood, the prosperity, and well-being of each and every American. Your homes, your schools, your jobs, your retirement accounts, and your health are all at risk. Our struggle with China is nothing short of a civilizational conflict. In the United States, we value our liberty and independence. We value the right of self-determination. We value that individuals can come together to solve shared problems, free from government coercion. We value the First Amendment and the freedoms it protects to say what we think and to practice our faith. We value innovation and creation over theft and mindless replication. Simply put, Americans value life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Today, it is imperative that we have a shared understanding regarding the threats we face. Only then can we come together to protect the homeland against China's actions. Unfortunately, many of the most powerful members of our society have failed to recognize this threat, or worse, have chosen to ignore it. The first priority of American leaders should be to protect the American people, not to act as sycophants or mouthpieces for Chinese propaganda. Yet too often, politicians at all levels of government have fallen short of these ideals. Corporations across a variety of sectors, many of whom are household names, bow to China's will. Major technology companies, which have seen unparalleled success thanks to our free and open economic system, have turned their backs on the principles in the country that which helped foster their growth. A 2017 U.S. Trade Representative report found that Chinese theft of American intellectual property cost our country as much as $600 billion each and every year. Our responses to such behavior have been weak or non-existent. Meanwhile, our own media institutions, tainted by Chinese influence, refuse to report on this threat. Even worse, sometimes American media itself is a platform for CCP propaganda. For example, China Daily, a well-known CCP mouthpiece, paid millions of dollars to major American newspapers to print pro-Beijing supplements designed to look like real news articles. Entertainment media has also fallen under China's trance. Today, major Hollywood production companies and directors sometimes censor products to please Beijing in the hopes of tapping into the Chinese market. China's ability to compromise the most powerful institutions and companies and politicians in our country highlights the threat posed by Beijing to the rights and freedoms of everyday Americans. This threat requires a swift response. Otherwise, 5, 10, 20 years from now, we'll look back and ask, how did we allow this to happen? From day one, President Trump has been clear that this administration will not stand idly by as a foreign power manipulates and degrades the freedom and prosperity of the American people. To combat the threat posed by China, the president is leading a whole-of-government response, and DHS is proud to play a critical role in that strategy, tapping every resource our department has to offer. Chinese actions undermine the integrity of our immigration and border security systems. Accordingly, we have tightened our screening procedures against individuals we believe may steal sensitive information and technology for the CCP. 
We are also banning the entry of Chinese students and researchers with ties to their military-civilian fusion strategy. China got the message. Tens of thousands of Chinese students left to avoid detection or further action. Our department conducted additional screening and vetting as these individuals left our country, identifying critical counterintelligence threats and preventing the threat of vital information. These actions have reined in the spread of Chinese propaganda. Where previous administrations allowed the indefinite stay of known CCP agents who disguise themselves as legitimate media, we have limited their stay and curbed their influence. We are preventing CCP operatives from immigrating to the United States by updating our implementation of Congress's longstanding requirement to exclude communist and totalitarian party members. These are just some of the steps we've taken to address the Chinese threat to our border and immigration systems, but we must do more. And that begins with our plan to implement longstanding law regarding the danger posed by the CCP. Today, I'd like to announce that DHS will be taking the following immigration and travel-related actions. Consistent with recent action taken by the Department of State, CBP is working to limit the period of admission for CCP members visiting the United States, who in the past might have received 10-year visas to a maximum of one month. We're also working with state to consider further restrictions on visa validity periods for CCP members. We are also using all available tools to keep Chinese nationals from concealing their CCP membership or evading disclosure requirements. We are initiating regulatory reforms to impose transparency requirements and shed light on CCP front groups operating on U.S. college campuses and in public schools. Given Beijing's failure to timely accept return of illegal aliens who have had their day in court and received final orders or removal, I recommended and the State Department has issued visa sanctions on China. In fiscal year 2021, we will be specifically welcoming refugees who are nationals or habitual residents of Hong Kong. In the travel domain, we are engaging with Taiwan regarding Taipei's pending application for pre-clearance for U.S.-bound travelers. With these actions and others, we will block China's exploitation of our border and immigration systems. To address the China threat, law enforcement plays a critical role. As the nation's largest law enforcement organization, DHS has been intercepting dangerous and illegal drugs originating in China, especially opioids. In 2019 alone, DHS seized enough fentanyl to kill every American four times over, much of which is believed have originated in China. Our Homeland Security investigation agents at ICE have protected the American people from COVID-19 related fraud by arresting criminals, seizing millions of dollars of illicit proceeds, and making over 750 seizures of fraudulent and prohibited material originating in China or Hong Kong. We seized tens of thousands of packages originating in China, which included counterfeit COVID-19 test kits, and we uncovered 12 million counterfeit masks intentionally sent to Americans. We also continue to investigate individuals, companies, and networks with Chinese ties attempting to misuse U.S. military and dual-use technologies for Beijing's benefit. We are targeting Chinese entities peddling counterfeit products and goods made with forced labor. Our targeting includes seizing products originating in the Shenzhen, an autonomous region in western China that is home to the Uyghur ethnic minority, millions of whom the CCP has imprisoned, concentration camps, and forced to work in factories. We have had several successes on that front, including the recent seizure of 13 tons of product made with human hair, presumably taken from detainees in these camps. Earlier this month, CBP issued a withhold release order to detain shipments containing cotton and cotton products originating from the Xinjiang Production and Construction Corps, the most recent of several WROs responding to the scourge of forced labor in the region. 
This is just the beginning of our law enforcement crackdown on the CCP's abuses. Looking forward, we are continuing to develop and hope to soon issue a region-wide WRO for key categories of products produced with forced labor in Xinjiang. We also took significant measures to protect the 2020 election from Chinese interference. In August, our partners in the intelligence community notified the public that the Chinese Communist Party has been expanding its efforts to shape policy in the U.S. and to manipulate politicians to favor Chinese interests. In response, DHS partnered with local election officials across the country to make sure our elections were as safe and secure as possible. These partnerships included briefings for state and local officials so that they can protect themselves against espionage by CCP meddlers, as well as identification and development of countermeasures for cyber vulnerabilities. As I've repeatedly emphasized, economic security is homeland security, and DHS is leading the way, protecting the American economy from the Chinese threat. We are working hand-in-hand with American companies and law enforcement to prevent the import of goods produced with Chinese slave labor and have alerted companies to espionage vulnerabilities in our information and communications infrastructure. Through our participation in the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, we are working to mitigate the risk posed by Chinese foreign investment. Earlier this year, DHS, along with the Departments of Justice and Defense, recommended that the FCC deny the connection of a state-of-the-art undersea cable between the United States and Hong Kong. This denial was necessary to mitigate national security concerns and protect U.S. consumer data. DHS is also coordinating with U.S. partners to secure Americans' sensitive information against the Chinese Communist Party's attempt to exploit the growing 5G Internet infrastructure. We will be issuing a business advisory cautioning against using data services and equipment from firms linked to the PRC. This advisory highlights numerous examples of the PRC government leveraging PRC institutions like businesses, organizations, and citizens to covertly access and obtain sensitive data on businesses to pursue its economic and national security goals. DHS flags instances where Chinese companies illicitly collect data on American consumers to steal intellectual property. CCP-aligned firms rake in tremendous profits as a result. As an example, DHS is reviewing entities such as the Chinese manufacturer TCL. This year, it was discovered that TCL incorporated backdoors into all its TV sets, exposing users to cyber breaches and data exfiltration. TCL also received CCP state support to compete in the global electronics market, which has propelled it to the third largest television manufacturer in the world. We are also working to combat Chinese maligned influence in the Western Hemisphere and are partnering with government agencies, including the U.S. Agency for International Development, with which DHS will be signing a Memorandum of Understanding to foster the development for our hemisphere free from communist manipulation. As Acting Secretary, I'm immensely proud of the work DHS has done to recognize the threat China poses to the homeland. We remain vigilant and will continue to call out the threat clearly. But for all we have done, we must do more. That is why I'm pleased to report DHS will soon be releasing our strategic action plan to counter the People's Republic of China, an innovative document built for the President Trump's 2017 National Security Strategy and the 2020 U.S. Strategic Approach to the People's Republic of China. I thank the DHS China Working Group members for their work developing this action plan and for their continued efforts to coordinate, prioritize, and articulate the department's responses to the threat posed by Beijing. As I conclude, I want to reiterate an important point. The Chinese Communist Party's ideology and China's recent maligned actions are linked. This allows them to coerce their entire population, many of whom are innocent and unwilling, to launch attacks against the United States and other Western nations. They simultaneously attack the legitimacy of our political system, 
undermine the strength of our economy and directly harm or kill American citizens. The communist threat we unwisely believed was behind us in the last century is not a ghost of the past. It continues to stalk freedom and liberty today in the form of the Chinese Communist Party. And it is clear in present danger we cannot afford to ignore for the good of our country, our way of life, and our civilization. To be successful in this fight, we must continue the work of spotlighting and sternly responding to Beijing's attacks against the United States, including economic espionage, visa fraud, and piracy theft. As China leverages every aspect of its society to attack our country, we too must mobilize a whole-of-society response. It is imperative that every American business, every media institution, every citizen, and every concerned party recognize and guard against this threat. With your help, America will not become the next victim in a new era of Chinese communism. The threat we face from China is a serious one, but I have faith that our country can rise to meet the challenge. We must stand together against the darkness of this oppression, just as we have done so many times before. Thank you. Well, Mr. Secretary, thank you for your comments. Uh, In many ways, to me, this is really historic, and not just in terms of dealing with this new threat, but really it's historic in documenting how the department evolves. Absolutely. to address the issues of the homeland. So, and thank you for the opportunity for, to take a couple of questions. Yes. Um, it, the, your comments really raise so many issues. Yeah. I'm not even sure a lot of people are aware <laughs> right. of, the, of the spectrum of concerns. Yeah. Um, one I want to ask you about might not be the first thing in people's mind, and that's actually immigration and border security. So we've heard where the transnational cartels have really gone global, reaching out to other groups around the world, uh, in human trafficking, right. and and to, in particular Asia and China, and that there are now transnational connections from Asia into Latin America, and then those are potential threats coming into the border. So is that something that you're focused on as well? Yeah, absolutely. But Jim, let me first start off by saying thank you. Thank you uh, for taking uh, the time here. Thanks for Heritage, uh, for your great partnership over the last several years, really promoting a lot of what the department does and talking about a lot of our issues. So thank you for doing that. When we talk about China, obviously we outlined this threat very holistically in our Homeland Threat Assessment uh, several months ago, talking about just the the pervasive nature of their threat. So uh, happy to talk about it uh, any chance that we get. Specifically to your question, though, when we talk about border security in China and what we see, particularly at our southwest border, not only there at our physical border, but what's coming in, what first comes to mind is not only the TCOs and those transnational organizations, but also opioids, drugs mm. uh, that we see from China uh, over the last several years. So when we, the administration first came in, fentanyl coming through U.S. mail, coming through the mail and express consignment was a concern. And I would say over the last several years, we've really addressed that. Um, we've uh, adjusted our targeting rules. We have better intelligence. We've cut down on the amount of opioids and fentanyl that's coming through the mail system. So uh, our adversaries know that, and they have changed uh, course as well. So we see the majority of that now going through Mexico, coming up through our southwest border. So uh, absolutely, those transnational criminal organizations are talking to each other or coordinating and are sharing that information and not only trafficking opioids and fentanyl, but also human trafficking and some of the other things that you mentioned. So yes, we absolutely see those connections being made uh, because that, na- that nature of that threat continues to adjust as we adjust uh, our procedures here at the department. Yeah, and I don't think many people understand that, 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 that there's actually a crime cycle here, that these things feed on each other. So if you're doing human trafficking and you're making huge profits from that, you're then pouring that into your drug trade yes. and you're making huge profits from that. And so it's not a political issue. It's no. not 
some people like a secure border and some people don't. I mean, I think we have to look at this holistically, which I think you've done a great job with the department, yeah. quite honestly. And it's not being about mean at the border. It's about doing what's best for 330 million people. And, and many of the policies that you set in place, I think people, it's not just about necessarily illegal immigration. It's about the broad spectrum of issues yeah. and, and that are really have global consequences. Yeah. Well, you hit it right on the head, which is it's not only about illegal immigration. Those same networks that we see, particularly the Mexican cartels and the TCOs use, and again, they're coordinating uh, across the world at this point, they're using those to smuggle drugs, but also traffic individuals, uh, you know, and the like. So it's, it's not just are there drugs coming across the border. It's those same networks that are, um, you know, uh, really going after the full cycle of illegal contraband, illegal materials coming across that border. And so it's, it's human trafficking, it's sex trafficking, it's illegal drugs, and so you're right. It's it's apolitical, or it's you know uh, bipartisan, uh, or it should be. This is about protecting the homeland, protecting those communities, not only across that southwest border, but as we say here at the department, every community in America is a border community, because whatever happens across that border will be in places like Minneapolis and Chicago and Seattle within days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see that, and this is about making sure that we're protecting the American people for the long haul. And making sure here at the department that we continue to be agile and being able to adjust. So as we put in pressures or places and procedures in place, uh, we know the adversary is going to change. So it's not enough to do one thing and then say, okay, we've solved that problem. We're going to have to, we do that and it's important to come back to it time and time again to see how it continues to uh, shift. Well, I'd I'd like to ask you about another issue related to China. But I, and I really think it gets to kind of the core function of why do we create this department? Why is yeah. it here to begin with? If you went to somebody and said, do you want to be free? Do you want to be safe? Or do you want to be prosperous? Your answer is, hey, I'd kind of like to be all three. Yeah. And you only achieve that by actually getting to the, the real issues. People remember that George Kennan's famous uh, mister, uh, you know, uh, letter, yeah. uh, the long telegram. And, and nobody thinks about the last 200 words of long telegram. It says, look, we're going to win in the end because we're stronger and we're better. But um, we can't win in the process of dealing with the enemy. We become the enemy. And right. what Ken was saying is we have to maintain the equities that keep us strong, our right. freedom, our prosperity. And we can't sacrifice that in the process of making ourselves safer. We have to figure out how to do all three. And what right. I've really loved about your tenure at the department, yeah. and the department in its long history is really trying to, to really address all the equities, not just security. but about, So getting to the legitimate issues that we really care about. Yeah. So... Um, I th- you know, one uh, issue that I think that's been raised lately uh, in the spectrum of things, what should the department be dealing with, what should not, mm. is, is a proliferation of, of drones. So we're seeing drones all over the place. Right. I think a lot of people don't realize that a, a vast number of those drones are ma- actually manufactured in China. Right. And a lot of security analysts say, well, this represents a similar concern to Huawei in the sense that if if these are manufactured, the Chinese are controlling the software, then potentially all the data, all the information that those drones collect right. could wind up back in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. And many law enforcement agencies around the country are, are consumers of these drones. So there is actually an effort in the National Defense Authorization Act, the bill that we pass every year, yep. to, for Congress to kind of uh, put limits on, on that. And it was actually stripped out of the act. Um, I don't know why that was, but is, it, is this, is this the, an issue that the department is looking at? Well, absolutely. It's not only uh, an issue that DHS is looking at, but I would say the entire interagency is looking at. So when we talk about drone usage, obviously, just to back up for a minute, obviously there's, there's advantages of doing that. We can use that in, in a good way, and the department uses drones 
uh, in a variety of different applications. But obviously our adversaries are using drones against us too. And so when we talk about China uh, and the, the, you know, the heavy reliance that we, uh, that we do rely on as far as the manufacture of that, that type of technology, it's a concern. And that data sharing, data security issue is absolutely a real concern. Um, and so I would encourage all, we, we here at the department are looking at it, we're pushing the interagency uh, to do some things as well. And we're trying to mitigate whether or not some of that, uh, some of those drones can, uh, you know, transmit information back or, or be susceptible to that. So we're, we're certainly taking a look at that. But this is a bigger issue of the dependency that we have. So it's not, whether it's drones, whether it's 5G technology or other types of technologies coming out of China, uh, in a, you know, either being originating there or that they're stealing some of our intellectual property. I think we need to take a, a holistic look at what is our strategy, you know? So we want to make sure we're not relying on, on 5G from mm -hmm. China. We want to make sure that we're not relying on drones from China. Like we can't keep these one up, you know, uh, whack-a-mole issues. We got to look longer term about this. So uh, we need to build our industrial base. Um, I think if anything, COVID-19 and the pandemic saw is we are heavily reliant in some aspects on Chinese manufacturing. Um, in that case, it was PPE and, and things like that, but it, it kind of transcends uh, areas. So I think we need to really look at, try to build that base, that expertise up here, uh, whether it's in the States or, or elsewhere, and not be reliant. So there are things we're trying to do to mitigate within the interagency. So this is something that DHS is looking at, and I would say the larger USG is looking at. And so it is a concern. I don't know why it was pulled out of the NDAA. That doesn't seem like a, a smart proposition to me. Um, and so I think it was something we need to continue to look at. But I would, again, address that larger issue of making sure that we don't um, have to do this with every single technology and every single issue. We need to look a little bit more holistically. Yeah. Well, and th does that get to really the kind of the core of the DHS strategy is surveying the homeland and saying, yeah. where are legitimate concerns? D does DHS have a capability or an equity here? And then how do we apply that effectively to help protect American citizens? Is that that's kind of been what you've tried to do Absolutely, a lot. yeah. So we do that a variety of different ways. So obviously we do that within each individual component inside the department that sort of has what we call no-fail missions. And whether you're CBP or you're the U.S. Coast Guard, your CISA, we're all using different technologies and some of the same technologies in the same way. Uh, but then we have to look at how do we use it, but then how's it being used against the American people in some cases. And so we certainly do that, and we look at that not only, you know, from a security and a national security angle, but also from an economic security angle. We need to make sure that the economic security of the United States is also safe, secure, and prosperous as we, as we go forward. So I, I have one final question for it. It's a, a little off topic. Um, I actually worked on the, the transition team yeah. um, last time, and, and I think it's an important role, and, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is the transition team, the people that do that, yeah. are actually the career people in the department. Right. And, and, and I, my experience is these people were incredibly professional. I understand there, there were still disputes about, about the election result, but, but the department still has to prepare for that. Right. And, and I, I'd just like to ask, um, how's that going? Oh, it's, you know, from our perspective, I think it's going as well as it, it can go. So we, you're, you're exactly right. We have a presidential transition office. PTO, which is comprised of uh, a variety of different folks across the department. It's almost exclusively career individuals who have been working probably about for the last nine months. And it's in statute, it's in law, and it's, this is what they do every four years. They, they're pulling together briefing books, they're pulling together sort of a DHS 101 type of thing, making sure that uh, you know, a new team or if there is a new administration that they hand that off in, in a way. Um, so 
we've certainly done that. They've also, the agency review teams uh, of, of the Biden-Harris campaign, they're, uh, they've been meeting uh, mostly on Zoom calls uh, mm -hmm. with individual components of the department on a variety of different topics. I think there's been probably 50 or 60 of those thus far, and they've got more planned. Um, so from a DHS perspective, I think it's going as well as it, it can go. We're trading information. We're providing information to them. Um, I haven't heard any complaints yet, and uh, I think they're focused on COVID-19, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. the pandemic. I think they're focused on a lot of the immigration uh, components here at the department, um, refugee uh, policies and things of that nature, the, what I've seen thus far, mm -hmm. uh, some of the topic areas that they're looking in. But I know they're, they're, they're sort of casting a wide net, uh, as they likely should, and trying to gather as much information. Yeah, but I think from my experience, everybody should feel pretty confident that, that, that the department's role in keeping Americans safe, it's going to be just as effective the week after the election as it was the week before the election. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point. A lot of what the department, yeah. look, you know, news media is going to be news media, uh, and they're going to focus on some politically charged topics. A lot of what we do here at the department is, uh, is apolitical or bipartisan, however you want to talk about it. So those missions will continue. Those will endure. There'll be policy changes if there is a new administration. I have no doubt in that. But a lot of what the department does, a lot of what the career folks do here day in and day out is, is not going to change. It's going to continue to be secure, the homeland, you know, whether it's air, land, sea, cyber, or whatever it might be, uh, they're going to continue that role. Well, Mr. Secretary, thank you for your time. Thank you for your leadership and stewardship of the problem. And have a, a great and, and blessed holiday. All right. You too. Thanks, Jim. Thanks.